Zechariah 9.9. You can have the alternate text for this Sunday can be Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So you have a chance to, it's either you have last Sunday and this Sunday, very similar texts, or you can have Palm Sunday twice. So, uh, you know, it just happens that it's Palm Sunday twice, but uh, in this this bit. But anyway, there's this whole notion of, you know, obviously what you're supposed to hear is Jesus is on the way. Uh, In the same way when we sing... uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We always sing that just before the Lord's Supper, and that's supposed to tune you in, that the Lord is going to make himself present on the altar. He's going to come in a particular way. So Advent's all about the presence of Christ being here with us. And uh, uh, life's good. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Almighty God and Lord, we beg you, come to us with all your power and help us who are anxious or troubled. Send us your helper and savior that he may enter our hearts and with your light illumine our night through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, uh, I'll, send, uh, I'll send these around. So if you could mark your, just mark the fact that you're there. There you go, Beverly. Orton's, good morning. That pen is loose. Thank you. And then um, these are always a down Sunday, last Sunday and this Sunday. People are traveling, that's okay. But if we stop too many times, it just gets too hard to keep going. Um, you know, if you got an extra 10 cents, put it in here. We'll send it. Where did you tell me this is going, Carol? Ghana. Goes to Paul Finn today in Ghana. So if you have a little something, uh, then we'll return that bag to Carol, please. Okay. And then next week, um, you know, it should be fun next week. It's, we've, you know, held back the excitement a little bit just to, to let things, all things kind of happen. But especially for this group, because you're so faithful. I, I want to make sure that we get to your input and comments as we go along um, next week. So no Bible study next week, but we'll all go next door. It's glorious. I mean, you have to hear the sound of a jackhammer in, an, in, a, in a space like that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a very spiritual thing. You know, this, but it's, it's, if you've been over there working, anytime the guys have been working, it's so loud. And it just rings in there. Well, well, we'll try to put something a little different in the space. Uh, so this week, folks came and leveled the floor. You know, it was several different levels. Now it's all smooth. It's not glorious. It's not beautiful, but it is smooth uh, and safe for you to go over. So next week, we'll wander over next door. And then um, look in the bulletin. It may not be every week, but uh, bit by bit, we're going to give you little descriptions of where we are and what's the next thing. And of how we got there and where we're going and you know what the font looks like and what the altar looks like and what the pieces look like and you should just know um, you know the, the original all the original plans were made on three and a half million dollars so if we get three and a half million dollars then it'll look something like the original plans if not then you know things get scaled back accordingly and we just have to move things in piece by piece but of course the first things we have to do are the necessary things to have um, the divine service there, a place to sit, a pulpit, a font, an altar, uh, so those kinds of things. So, you know, bit by bit, and it'll all come, you know, over the years, it'll all come together. So uh, be patient and have some fun, but it is actually kind of an exciting time. Any questions about that, about the place next door? So next week we wander over, and I think the choirs are going to sing, and uh, maybe some folks will blow their horns a little bit. That should be fun. All right, anything, just about anything else? Thank you very much. Now, um, there was one new thing, which is the quote um, from St. John Thomas. And then, does anybody need the outline? Same outline as last week. You want to do that for me?
Yeah, it's all right. I make copies because I know that they, you wouldn't believe all the places I find copies in my own house. So uh, under the van seat, you know, tucked inside. A, so that's all. If you need them, yeah. Oh, no troubles. No troubles. That's all right. No troubles. It's all good. So um, as I told you, you know, as I, as I told you last week, we did a, a little bit of this at Women's Bible Study. We don't have as much time here, but we've been looking at... Um, Psalm 103. So if you've got a Bible, you can spin that open. Um, and I don't want to do exactly, exactly what we did last week, uh, but I do want to talk about it a little bit. So the Psalms always start with the Lord. That's always a great place to start. And uh, even though the Psalms often sound like they're about us, they're really about Christ and what Christ is doing. So you always start there. Now, I don't have too much room to draw, actually. But you remember the first thing we talked about was uh, evil. And that's just a normal part of our lives together. Um, there's, there's always going to be evil, and the Lord recognizes that, and we need to recognize it too. And you know that it's already there in verse 6. So I'm, I'm, I'm at 103, Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord is righteous in all his acts. He brings justice to all who have been wronged. Wronged is a way of saying there is evil in the world. So you good catechisms types, you, you who have always been Lutheran, if I say to you, you know, where does evil come from, your automatic response to me is? The devil and? The flesh and? The world. The devil, the world, and our flesh. So you, and that's really a pretty comprehensive thing. Your, your temptations to evil and, frankly, the evil that's done, the devil tempts you to it, or he does it himself. So you can be tempted, like the story in Eden, or you can actually, you think of the story of Job, where Satan actually went full blast on Job. I mean, Satan actually brought evil. And sometimes you're the innocent victim of that. Uh, and that can be at the hands of other people, or it could be at your own hand. Um, so the devil is the first place. The world, we live in a difficult place, and the world's going to be a very interesting thing for the rest of my life, but especially if you have children for the rest of their lives, because um, America is going to become, looks as if it will become post-Christian. Europe is already post-Christian. It looks like it'll be coming to America. We'll see it might take another generation or two. Or you know what? Things may spin back around. But the world um, is not a friendly place. You might have seen that there was a 16-year-old girl in, a, in, in, in Sudan this week who was arrested on the way to school uh, with a knee-length dress. They took, her, um, they took her to court, convicted her at the same time, and gave her 40 lashes in the courtroom before anybody knew or her, or her uh, family was notified because she was immodest. Uh, but uh, even under Sudanese law, Christians are not punished, are not meant to be punished under the same uh, Islamic law uh, under which she took the lashes. So, I mean, that's just kind of an example. It's an extreme example. You think Sudan's a long way away. You don't have to worry about it. You know, we'll see. But it is an interesting time. So sometimes it's the world. Sometimes it's the Satan. And then sometimes it's just us. And you naturally in your heart, just as I do, have evil in your heart, which is why every day you read your text and say your prayers and beg forgiveness and come to the Eucharist and live with people in community who encourage you not to sin, 
The worst thing that can happen in a community if people can encourage you to sin. So we have to encourage each other not to sin because it's in us and it's also from outside us. So there'll be a day, you know, the last day when the Lord squares everything up. Um, but until then, the Lord knows what's going on. So it can come from inside, it can come from outside, it can be big, it can be small. You can be innocent, you can be guilty, but evil will find you. Um, at some point in your life, evil is going to find you. And uh, we have to figure out how it is that we both resist it and carry on. But the next thing we talked about then was, what, do you remember? What was the next place we were? And the reaction to it was, right, and the reaction to it was anger, right, which is a normal reaction to when we've been wronged. And um, you described it in all different ways. I don't have enough space to write it all because I want to write something different today. But when you, talk about, when you talk about evil and evil's done to you and you get angry, how do you feel? What do you want? You want revenge? What else do you want? Justice. What else do you want? What would justice look like? Say it louder. Uh, it does look like sometimes making the wrong right. Thank you very much. Sorry. Say it loud. Yes, retribution sometimes. You know, occasionally there'll be people who will say, you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to kill the person who killed my child, for example. I was in confession once, and um, uh, the diagnostic question was, I was horribly angry with somebody, and the diagnostic question was, do you wish him into hell? Which is kind of full blast, you know, um, anger and, in a sense, justice. So wrath and rage and anger and revenge and, and um, getting it squared up and all of that. And you remember then we talked last week about how people, this is very common for people to get caught in this loop of anger. And um, things just get kind of worse and worse. And the longer you're in this, the harder the borders become and the thicker they get and you become, now you think about the words that we used to talk about this, callous, hard-hearted, you know, think about the words. The words are actually physiologically descriptive of what happens to us when we get caught in this. Now, this can be, as we talked last week, this can be a helpful thing um, because anger can tell you what you care about. And um, there is a biblical injunction, and we went through this last week, of, you know, you get your anger can last about a day. So don't let the sun go down on your anger. And also then you remember, uh, and we may come to it today, the verse that says, the Lord's anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. I think that's Psalm 30, and I think it's at the end of um, private confession. The Lord's anger lasts but for a moment, short time, but his favor lasts a lifetime, which then will be a clue to... Um, how you and I deal with our anger. Now, I've talked to people through the week. Uh, it's been very helpful. I've talked to people through the week who have talked about waking up in the morning with anger, having anger that persists, having anger that you think is gone, and then you see a person, or you see an event that mimics the event that happened to you, or pick a range of things um, that kind of builds the anger up. Two things about that. One is, 
Try to be observant enough in yourself, as Jesus says today, watch yourself, tend yourself. Try to be observant enough in yourself that you can feel it coming and get after it early. You know, once anger is done, it's good for you, which is to tell you what you care about and sort of awakened you to the notion of justice. Both of those are okay. Those are, those are actually good things. But once it's done that, try to be observant because you don't want it to build. Okay? So I give you this ancient thing um, from St. John, okay? And let me, just, let me just suggest to you, I've puzzled about this. I've, I've had this hanging in front of my desk for six months, and I've puzzled about it for quite a long time. But there is something in anger. I'll just suggest to you, he's going to talk about pride. There is something in extended anger where in this loop, you make yourself the superior, and you make the person who's wronged you the inferior. And of course, then the natural way of the world is that inferiors will be subservient, punished, destroyed, pick what you want. But there is something about it. You forget the fact that you yourself are, as we say every week, a poor, miserable sinner. You begin to see the difference between yourself and somebody else rather than the similarities. So try this. Um, anger is a dislike hatched from the memory of offenses received. That's easy, isn't it? If I dislike you because this is what you said about me, this is what you did to me. And then look, the next thing. A desire to hurt the people who have hurt us. Justice, in one sense. Hurt the people, who've, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We desire to hurt the people who've hurt us. The sweet scent of humility, however, makes it disappear as the darkness scatters when the sun rises. So you always want practical stuff for your life, so do I. The way to make anger dissipate is to be humble. Now we gotta talk about what that means. Some people with a hot temper do not worry about it and ignore the remedies that would heal them. It's very interesting how in previous generations in the church, it was the church, it was the pastor who healed you. Now you have a therapist, or now you have a doctor. But rarely do people think about this, that the church is someplace that dispenses remedies that heals you, okay? It's like putting on Neosporin. It's a remedy that heals you. Some people with a hot temper don't worry about it and ignore the remedies that would heal them. They forget, unfortunately, what is written. Surely anger kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. Anger is like the rapid revolution of a mill wheel. It not only crushes, but also scatters more grain than a reaper could do working a whole day. So I don't know if you've ever seen a mill wheel, but if it goes too fast, it actually doesn't work. It's one of those things that does more damage than good. Same way with anger. Anger has a purpose. Anger can be righteous. Anger also has a shelf life. So you hold your anger within its boundaries. You remember last week we read, be angry, but uh, be silent. And, and I, we talked about how hard it is to be righteously anger, angry. You gotta, really, you gotta be some kind of Christian to be righteously angry. To, to, to be Jesus tipping over the temples, or t tipping over the tables in the temple, you gotta really, you gotta go some before you're tipping over the temples. Um, you probably don't wanna use that for your analogy. Uh, that's just a whole different kind of angry. 
It's also like the outbreak of fire when the wind is blustery. It scorches and burns up the field of the heart more disastrously than a slow fire would in a longer period. You see that? And that's another way we feel. Don't we talk about that? You feel hot. You feel, you know, unnerved. You feel, you know, just on fire. The hot-tempered individual is like an epidemic. Okay, so now you have the community implications. The disease takes him by surprise, shakes him up, flings him to the right and to the left. Chaos. I don't know if you noticed, but in the last verse, the last hymn today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Jesus comes and he gives order. That's what we sung. We sung about Jesus who, um, who orders our lives. I was struck by that because, and brings us then knowledge, which is exactly what you're doing here uh, in Bible study this morning. O come thou wisdom from on high, who orders all things mightily, to us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her ways to go, rejoice, rejoice. So you actually have to put your brain to it, which is, well, it's good that you stayed. Um, you have to actually put your brain to it. Sure, there's, no, there's, there's some automatic things that happen. The automatic, we had kids again coming for First Communion this morning, and the, and the lesson to those kids is just let Jesus touch your lips. It's enough just the physical touch of Jesus on your lip. Um, we're very careful with young kids so we don't give them a big gulp. It just needs to touch, just the physical touch. That's enough. He needs a great deal of humility because his anger is the result of an overinflated opinion of himself. See, there it is. I'm really good, you're really bad. I'm really right, you're really wrong. I'm really smart and you're not. So I get my way and you get whatever's left over. And maybe, you know, I get to punish you if you can't see things my way. And that spreads like an epidemic in a community. If pride gets loose in a community, it spreads like an epidemic. And pride goes to anger, goes to disunity, goes to everything falling apart. On the other hand, gentleness attains its highest expression. So what's the way you can be most gentle to somebody else? What's the remedy? When we keep our heart calm in the face of someone who is provoking us, Jesus before Pilate, and he answered not a word. Don't you know I hold your life in my hands? Jesus said, frankly, you actually don't hold anything in your hand. Right? We keep our heart calm in the face of someone who's provoking us and actually show him our love. And that rings in with all kinds of stuff. Turn the other cheek. Right? Do good to those who hate you. Pray for your enemies. Live in the image of Christ. Let peace reign among you. I mean, that's just a very common theme. So um, I just, I just want to be careful. To be angry is not to sin, but it's an extraordinarily dangerous, it's an extraordinarily dangerous thing to be if it gets loose. Okay, now that's all just kind of cleaning up from last week. You still okay? Everybody okay? Questions about any of that? Okay, now I'm just going to erase so that I have more well, maybe I, can get, maybe I can get by with this. We'll see what happens. We'll see if the marker holds up. So you remember then, um, in, in, in Psalm 103.6, the Lord is righteous in his acts. When the, Lord, when the scriptures talk about the Lord being righteous, um, it means a range of things. Righteous is who God is, and righteous is what God does, and righteous is also what God expects of us. Regularly, he says to Israel, you know, 
Or, I mean, the most clear thing is, be holy as I'm holy. So God is righteous in himself. He always acts righteously. He always expects righteousness from you and from me. And then the good news is that God also always gives righteousness. So you don't have to manufacture it yourself. Um, So here we go. The Lord is righteous in all his acts. He brings justice to all who have been wrong. Now here's the thing. This is why you're going to be able to get to hope. Because, and I want to say this again, it's the first thing I said last week, justice is a good thing. Don't misunderstand me as as hearing that justice is a bad thing. Justice is a good thing, and especially working for justice for other people in your own life and in society. Justice is what God wants. Okay? In the end, justice is what God wants. But, um... When we talk about justice, what comes to mind? Can you kind of remember? When you think about justice, how would you describe what's just? What would you say? Thank you very much. So it's what you deserve. And when you get what you deserve, what do you call that? Call that being? You always said this to your kids, I'm sure. Be? Yeah, thank you. Didn't you have the rule in your house when you had to split something with your brother that one of them cut it? One cuts and the other gets first choice. You didn't do this? Yes, of course. You you cut and then your brother gets first choice. It's the ultimate aim at fairness, is it not? Yes, because if you're not fair, you only damage yourself. And you remember then, what else did we talk about? We talked about wanting to be vindicated. There was a woman. She came to a judge. The judge feared neither God nor man. But he said, she comes to be vindicated and she keeps me up late into the night. And so um, I'll give her what she wants. Now just skip to verse 9. This is frightening. Um, The Lord will not always be the accuser. Now here's the thing. He's not always the accuser, but actually that means at some point he is actually the accuser. That is horrible stuff. If you have the Lord accusing you, you've done it. You're the one. And then we say, you know, nothing is hidden. Let us begin to whom our God, let us begin in the name of our Lord to whom our hearts are open and from whom no secrets are hid. That's how private confession starts. Let's begin in the name of the Lord to whom all hearts are open and no secrets are hid. Let us be horribly vulnerable. So in some sense, um, the Lord is the accuser and then He's the accuser, verse 6, who brings justice. Boom, boom. Now, here's the thing, and I really, really mean this, and almost every time I talk about this at seminary or with pastors, they always, at this point, their eyes roll back in their head because they think that I'm saying that justice is a bad thing. I just want to be very, very clear. Justice is a good thing. Justice is a holy thing. Justice is a perfect thing. There's just one problem with justice. If you have full blast justice, what's the outcome? Everybody's dead. Thank you very much. All right, here's the thing, then. If everybody gets what they deserve, okay, you want justice? You want justice? You want ultimate justice? You want justice in every case? You want justice perfectly applied? You want thorough justice? You want not one nook or cranny where the light doesn't shine? The problem is that everybody's 
except the Lord. Because you've got sins and I've got sins, and one sin is enough to break the whole deal. So if you want justice, you can have justice, you can pray for justice, you can pray that God's wrath burns down on people, you can bring hell to earth. But just know what you're praying for. Because in the end, everybody's going to be dead, including you. That doesn't mean justice is a bad thing. Justice is a perfect thing, but it's like the transfiguration. When they saw Jesus full blast, whoosh, it pushed them down the mountain. Okay. So what we're hoping for, then, is an alternative. We need to come back to this. It's not that we've abandoned this. I mean, I'll just give you the punchline in advance. We probably just want a proper dose. Okay? So it's not that we hate justice, we love justice, we want justice, but we have to recognize in this application that a full dose will kill you. It'll kill everybody. And if you put justice, this is, I, I tell you, this is what Jesus means when he says to you, judge not and you will not be judged with the judgment you give, that judgment will be meted out against you. What else does he mean that if you set the rules so tightly that everybody else dies, you will die too because, now go back to St. John's thing, you're not at a different level than other people. We're all at the same level. To be, think yourself at another level is to be prideful. To be prideful is to be disappointed. To be disappointed is to be hurt. To be hurt is to be angry. And that starts the epidemic. Okay? What else does Jesus mean when he says, judge not and you'll not be judged? What else does he mean? So just be extraordinarily careful, please. Um, you should yearn for justice because justice is a good thing, but gosh, please be careful. Um, the other place, of course, you remember where Jesus is so stark. Live by the sword, die by the sword. I mean, you want to live by the sword? If you want to have a battle, where every last sword is drawn and every last life is at stake, good luck. Because at some point, you know, it's Braveheart and the reinforcements ride away, right? You should watch more movies. Okay, so, uh, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. If that's, just, just know that the rules of the game that we set down are the rules of the game, okay? So I just kind of urge you then Probably the rules of the game that we want to set down in our own lives, for our own families, for our community as Christian is a pinch of justice and an overwhelming amount of mercy. You remember the old thing of making a salad in France, you know, um, a, a, miser, a miser with the vinegar and a prince with the oil. Um, if you can say it in French, you get extra credit. But it is, uh, you know, that's the same way it is with justice and mercy. So real quickly now, look at your psalm. So now look at it. Look at all the way, starting at verse 6. That he, that, what are the words that are in your Bible that describes anything merciful? Go, just go. I'll just kind of keep tally. You got it? What do you got? Compassion. Compassion, good. What else is there? Gracious, so gracious is good. What else? Slow to anger, as opposed to the way of a fire. Good, what else? Abounding in love. So that's uh, abounding is the word for, uh, remember that, Abounding in love, that's the word in Romans where 
sin abounds, two plus two plus two, and grace abounds all the more, two times two times two. So there's words for addition and multiplication. Abounding is the way of multiplication. It grows exponentially. Woo, which should tell you, you have this much justice. Justice grows like this, and mercy grows like this. Okay? And this is why the question of the, the whole study is, do you want to be a mercy person or a justice person? The answer is both, but in proper doses. All right, what else have you got? Abounding in love. Keep going. There's more there. Go all the way. Go, go 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Keep going. Not accusing, which would be the opposite of being accused. Good. What else? Sorry? Yeah, what we don't deserve. So, so that would be unfair. What we don't deserve is being unfair. So justice is fair. What we don't deserve. What else have you got? Right, not harboring anger forever. So anger has a time limit. Good. Anger's on the timer. What else? Yes, removing transgressions, as, which is different. There's different ways that you can remove it. Remember, we started by saying that this is making wrongs right. So he makes wrongs right. There's different ways you can do it. You can do it by way of justice, which is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You killed my child, I kill your child. But there's other ways to remove it. So remove sins. What else have you got? Yes, it's, it's an extraordinary long distance, which is if you wake up in the morning and you're still crabby at somebody that you said you forgave this morning in church, if you wake up tomorrow, probably your east needs to be farther from your west. Right? Go. That's brilliant. He hasn't yeah. dealt with us according to our sins or rewarded us for our iniquities. Because there is a reward, of course, for iniquities, right? Exactly right. You get rewarded for, for the evil that you do. When you get rewarded for the evil that you do, um, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, this all echoes, by the way, what it is to be the community of Israel. If you want to spin in your Bible, you can to Exodus 34. You don't have to if you don't want to, I can read it for you. But listen to Exodus 34, verses 6 to 8. So Exodus is what he's making them to be the people of Israel. He's making a church. Exodus 34, 6 to 8. Actually, I'll start at 5. And the Lord came down in the cloud and took his place beside him and pronounced the name Yahweh. So this is great. He comes down to his people. He's present to them. That's the, that's the gospel reading for today. And he gives them his holy name, Yahweh, which is the name that he uses when he makes and does a covenant. So when he makes a promise and he keeps it, that's the Yahweh name. Then the Lord, Yahweh, passed in front of him and called aloud, Yahweh the Lord, a God. Now listen compassionate and gracious, long-suffering, ever constant and true, maintaining constancy to thousands. And you know deep in your heart, not all those thousands are repentant. Perfect. Forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and not sweeping the guilty away, which is what you should deserve, right? Do you wish them into hell? but one who punishes sons and grandsons to the third and fourth generation for the iniquity of their fathers. And there's a difference then between being punished for your sins, which we do in fact get when it's good for us. The Lord does in fact punish us when it's good for us, 
but not to destroy us. So you shouldn't think that you can sin, talk, do, hit, hurt, be angry, and never have the Lord punish you. The Lord cares for you as a child, which is he punishes you appropriately um, so that you become better, so that you become different. And of course, at the end of this, at the end of justice, um, everybody's dead. And of course, at the end of mercy, what? Everybody lives. Yeah, that's right. Okay, now this is weird. I'll just admit to you, because this is good, and this is good. Justice is good, and mercy is good. They're both holy. They're both of God. God is both just and merciful. The question is, how do you want your God? You know, how do you like your eggs? How do you, how do you take life? You know, if you want a justice God, if you want justice, you can have it, but I don't advise it. You need just enough justice so that it changes people, just enough justice to order the chaos, just enough justice to repel evil. Sometimes when people are repeatedly evil, they need to be disciplined, punished. But that needs to come in a proper dose. This, in fact, is where we're always going to because the Lord wants nobody dead and wants everybody alive. Does that make sense? You still okay? Yes, please, Mr. Lovitch. What about the military? I don't know anything about the military, Mr. Lovitch. Um, this question came up last time I talked about this, too. And um, if you'll let me um, sort of, like, dodge and then run the other way, that's what I'd like to do today. <laughs> because it is a completely different story all its own, okay? In one case, it was, he was drafted. In another case, now it's volunteering. Really? And then you also volunteered? You were drafted and you volunteered? Really? Gotcha, yes. There, there may be a parallel there. I am, I am extraordinarily nervous to the, the civil life in this sense uh, will have a different, there's a different way of talking about this. I'm only talking inside the church. However, I will just say a country where there is no mercy is not a very happy country. Is it Singapore? Where do they cane you for dropping your gum wrappers? It is Singapore. But the streets are clean, right? So you, everything is a trade-off, right? Every, in, in civilly, everything is a trade-off. How tight do you want things buttoned down? You know, and that's, a, that's an ongoing discussion. I will say, I'm, the disappointment of living in America right now is the incivility of it. Um, the incivility just over my lifetime People don't do democracy very well. Even if you watch television on Saturday morning, you watch the news shows, everybody talks at once. That's always the signal to change the channel. Because that is then, that's brute force and ignorance going at each other. Whoever can yell the loudest is the smartest. Yeah, really, I don't think so. So, but it's a whole other, um, and I know a young pastor, Nelson, who would be the guy just to teach that lesson. We'll have to get him up here, okay? What did he say? Yes, you do use, uh, he said, when you talk military, you talk about rendering things of Caesar to Caesar. You do, actually. So Caesar's law, Caesar has a different way of approaching things. Okay, so this is all I'm talking about here is church life today. Uh, you still okay? 
Yes, in please. Our, in our church life, in our, in our life in the community, uh, the, the justice and mercy, I believe, come into important tension, important, useful tension in confronting the evil that we see uh, in, in, and uh, just uh, working that, I think, is a real challenge for, for us uh, to, on the one hand, not just let the evil uh, sit aside and that would be what a pastor is meant to do, as you know. So there is always this question of how much justice and how much mercy. People who just let evil flourish, I mean, I, I regularly use, it's really a difference in pastoral care. Um, a woman who lets her husband beat her and the pastor says, you know, just go home and be a good wife. You know, that is, that is the worst possible thing you can say to that person. A woman or a child who lets themselves be abused doesn't help the abuser at all. At some point, evil needs to stop. It's the same in a church, people who gossip all the time. At some point, somebody has to say, no farther. Or people who are abusive all the time, at some point, people have to say, no farther. Because there is a, it's, it's like with your kids, and it's very difficult to figure this out. You know, how, and even all your kids are different. How much, how far do you let your kids go? When do you discipline? How do you discipline? If you've had kids, certainly you've gotten it right sometimes, you've gotten it wrong sometimes. Younger kids always, Older kids always complain that younger kids get off easy. I don't know if that's exhaustion or experience. I don't know. You know, it just, but it's, it's an art form, is it not? It's an art form. But the problem is, is we don't respect it as an art form. And the reason we don't respect it is that we, this is our default. This is our natural default. This is what we, because I'll tell you what, this is clear lines. There's no shades of gray in here. Did you kill everybody? Everybody's dead. So, well, at least we know where we stand or don't stand. Yes, please. It's interesting. I'm just thinking about how we're made in God's image. Right. Um, so do you think we would understand these two things equally? Or we won't always get them right, but it seems like we just set our natural default. And like C.S. Lewis talks about, we have this innate sense of justice. Right. Why don't we have this innate sense of mercy, too, even though we don't always get it right? It's well, a great question. That we actually yeah, that's a brilliant question. Um, so the question is, why we, we seem to have an innate sense of justice. We don't seem to have an innate sense of mercy. And the answer is because mercy is alien. Alien and justice is natural. We were created in the image of God, which means God's will and purpose was put on our heart. So we know when something's wrong, even in our sinful state. That's what we call, what do we call that? Conscience, yes. We have conscience. So we know when there's a violation of, of of law, natural laws, how you know some theologians will talk about. We know that there are just some things that are wrong, right? We just know that. But mercy is an alien thing to us because once we sin, it's all about me, it's all about self-preservation. And our natural way of self-preservation is I push you down to push myself up. And see, that's what, what I'm always talking about when things from the world creep into the church and we run the church like the world, then the game is over, you've lost the game. So this is why then, let, it be, let yourselves be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why the epistles are full of this. It's full of this talk about, and conformed mean, it's the word, it's the Greek word for when you take gold and you stamp a coin, you know? It, it, that it, it bears a picture, it bears an image, it becomes different, and frankly then it becomes worthwhile. 
Now, I still haven't got you, um, you know, after two times where I want to get you to, but I'm going to, again, I don't want to leave you sort of hanging. Last week we talked about growth, and we'll come back maybe and talk about this a little bit. Um, if Pastor Ganey will give me 10 minutes at the beginning of his next one. We talked about, and I've listed for you uh, under, uh, let's see, I'm sure I've listed them for you. Yes, I've listed for you under number nine, the presumption of growth. I've given you a scat of text there. What we need to have happen is that we need to live not in this, not in this loop, but in this loop, which goes constantly. This is where we want to be living with um, some of this and a ton of this. So this is where we need to go. And only then can you have a hopeful life. Now, I'll just ask you, if you have to say, in the midst of anything that troubles you, or pain or evil, or you're innocent, or you're guilty, or pick your normal situation, how is it possible for you to live a hopeful life? Just in 10 words or less. It's extraordinarily important, otherwise you'll go out and you, you won't live hopefully. Anger will build and you'll think there is no justice, and you'll think life is unfair, and then there'll be more anger, and then you'll nurse the anger, and then you'll touch other people, and they'll get angry too, and then suddenly you have a mob, and, and things will be chaotic, and when it's chaotic, it's clearly the devil. So the question is, how is it? You know this, you feel this, you naturally recognize this, but the goal is to live with this in this, how in the world can you do that? It is hard, but how can you do it? Sorry? Uh, calm on God's word, not my own understanding. Thank you very much. So I'll leave you then with um, verse 17 and then one other verse from 1 Peter. But the Lord's love never fails those who fear him. His righteousness never fails their sons and daughters who listen to his voice and keep his covenant who remember his commandments and obey. The answer is that the Lord does it. If you want to stop being angry, and if you want to be hopeful, it's very, very simple. You remember that the Lord will do it. You don't know how he's going to do it. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't know where you're going to end up. And you don't know if it'll match what you want in life. However, the only way to live without anger, and frankly, the only way to live with just a little bit of justice and a lot of mercy is to remember the Lord gets it done. I'm going to give you two verses to leave with. One is from Romans chapter 12. If you get the chance, you could read the whole thing in context, but I was struck by this. Romans 12, 19 in the wrong text, hopefully. My dear friends, never seek revenge, but leave a place for divine retribution. That's pretty stark. That's the justice side of things. Never seek revenge, because you're not very good at it. You'll get it wrong. You'll give the wrong dose. You won't have all the facts. You'll mishandle it. There's a thousand ways it can go wrong. Romans 12, 19. Now, what would be really interesting is if you read the rest of chapter 12, which is all about living together, this is the starkest word. The rest of this chapter is glorious. Never seek revenge. Do not seek divine retribution. There's a text that reads, justice is mine, says the Lord. 
I will repay. Okay. So the Lord's going to sort it out. The other place is um, 1 Peter 2, 23. I'm, I know this by heart. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. So when you think the world is evil, when you believe you've been abused, when you've been touched by evil, when you've been hurt, when it seems like the world is unfair, when everything you care about is going away, and because of that your anger grows, tells you what you love, right? The way out is 1 Peter 2.23. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. At some point the Lord is going to square it all up, and he'll square it up in his way with just the right dose of justice and mercy. And he'll, as Oswald Chambers says, um, consider the one fact you never know about the person next to you. Oswald Chambers, if you've read those devotions, at one point where he says, there's always one fact in the other person's story that you don't know. And the good thing about the Lord is he always knows the extra fact, the extra fact that would make you, frankly, act far differently. Or see that you had it completely backwards. You saw black where there was white. So the answer is trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Now the last thing I'll say is, this is terribly painful. It can be terribly painful. And it was all those, it was all those things about being purified by fire and being pruned. You know, those are not gentle images. You know, that somebody cuts up your arm, that's not a gentle image. That, they, that you're put into the fire and you're sifted, or you're put into the fire and you're, you're melted until all the junk comes out. Or you're put into, you know, you're put into the basket and you're sifted until you actually, you know what happens when wheat is sifted? It actually breaks. So you break. Or I remember a, a lecture I once heard at Stanford from um, Bishop uh, Festu of Uganda, where he said, um, this was a time when Idi Amin was eating many of his enemies. And the bishop came and said, uh, you know, of course, that we're salt in the earth and salt is all. So there you have it. Um, we might talk about this a little more. We might not. But at least you have some sort of template. Your template is to expose yourself to mercy in word and sacrament and to trust the Lord who judges justly that he'll sort it out and to release the just way that you think things should go. And then you can be certain that you're in the image of God. Come what may I'm in God's hands. So that's the only way to live a hopeful life and to live without anger. And all there in the Psalms for you. Okay, next week, field trip. Let's have some fun. Um, happy Advent. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.